Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. That seems to have taken a long time, decades ago, are just, boy, they're just surfacing faster and faster now. And I think that God is growing us up at a much faster pace because I believe the time is so near for His return. Now, this can be the most exciting time in the world to be living as a Christian. Now, Jesus says that He's coming back for a church without spot and blemish. So He's cleaning up our personality. He's trying to clean up our attitude. He's trying to clean up our action. He's working on us from the inside out, and He's repairing those areas that have been broken, those areas that have been torn down. Now, He'll do the work, but it's a choice for us to allow ourselves and submit ourselves to Him for the repair. Now, today we're going to take an Old Testament story, the story of Nehemiah, coming back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we're going to parallel that to the work that God is doing in us and the work that He's doing through us. So I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Now the nation of Israel has been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And finally, the time has come that they're going to be able to return out of captivity. And so God laid it on Nehemiah's heart to come back and oversee the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. Now Nehemiah was working for the foreign king. He was in the government. And the foreign king gave him permission to come back and to do this work. Now I don't know whether Nehemiah expected it or not, but he was faced with all kinds of attacks when he came back, when he got back to Israel. Now we're going to look at eight of those attacks and we're going to parallel those eight to the attacks that come against us. Now how many of you know what it feels like to be under attack? Have you ever been under attack by the enemy? Okay, we're going to be talking about how to come under attack and not quit the work. Not quit the work of ministry and not quit the work of allowing God to work on us to clean us up. Okay, in Nehemiah chapter 2, look at verse 10. It says, And when Sanballat, now Sanballat is a type and shadow of Satan. When Sanballat and Tobiah, the Amorite, these were officials, heard about what had happened, when they heard about the fact that Nehemiah was coming back to rebuild the walls, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Okay, now everything under the old covenant was in the physical, but that was a type and shadow of what we come under in the new covenant. And Sanballat was very displeased that Nehemiah was coming back and was going to help out the children of Israel. Now, Satan is always upset when he finds that somebody is coming to seek our welfare. Okay, let's look at the very first attack. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah's writing this, when he heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry, and look what he did. He began to mock the Jews. Okay, the first attack that usually comes when we're trying to go on with God is that Satan begins to mock us. Now, the Bible tells us that we're to be on the alert because our adversary, the devil, is roaming about like a roaring lion and he's seeking someone to devour. See, Satan wants to devour the progress that we're making. And the very first way is through mockery. Look at verse 2. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers... 
and the wealthy men of Samaria, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore the wall for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Could they finish it in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? He said, what do they think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall back? Now Tobiah the Amorite was near him, and he said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break the stone wall down. Okay, notice they're just ridiculing and mocking. And it says that he did it in the presence of his brothers. See, Satan tries to make us look foolish to other people. He tries to tear down our respect. Also, he came in the presence of the wealthy men. You know, there's times when the enemy will really try to punch our button by trying to embarrass us in front of people that are wealthy or people that are elite or someone that has prestige. See, think about it. If, if it was somebody that was down and out and it was a real loser and he tried to mock us, we probably wouldn't pay that much attention. But it bothers us when someone that we think has it all put together begins to ridicule us. Now, that can sometimes really get to us because oftentimes we've put them up on a pedestal. And see, that's where we get in trouble, when we begin to exalt people in our thinking. Anytime we exalt them just because they're wealthy or because maybe we think they're Mr. Somebody. And when that happens, then the enemy comes in and tries to embarrass us in front of these people that we're trying to impress. Now, statistics tell us that men who have ended up in prison camps can endure torture, that they can endure all kinds of physical abuse, but they can't take being laughed at. I think that's interesting. Now, that's one of Satan's battle plans. That's one of his tricks that he kind of tucks back to use against a person, especially when they first start the walk. He wants them to quit rebuilding the wall. He wants them to quit the work, quit allowing the Holy Spirit to work in them. Now, embarrassment is one of the first tools that he uses. I thought back about how many people I've known who took a step back or maybe quit the walk altogether simply because they got embarrassed over something. So how did Nehemiah now take care of this attack? Look at chapter 4, the first part of verse 4. It says, Hear, O Lord our God, how we are despised. The very first thing that he did was he went straight to the Father. You know, so often when we're laughed at, what do we do? We want to retaliate. We want to, you know, lash back. Or maybe we're tempted to run away and hide. We're embarrassed and so we want to get away. Or some people are tempted to walk away from the faith. But look what else Nehemiah did. First of all, he prayed to the Father. And then in verse 6, it says, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. After he had prayed to God, then that attack just motivated him to work all the harder. Verse 6 said that they had a mind to work. In other words, they all joined together and they got busy and they got the wall all connected. Now, it was only half the height that needed to be, but at least they got it all connected. They had a mind to work. They refused to allow the mockery of the enemy to cause them to come down off the wall. Now, in spite of harassments, God is saying to us, don't come down off the wall. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep doing the work that God's called you to do. Keep allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work within you that he's wanting to do. Okay, look at the second attack. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Now, it came about that when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Amorites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem was going on, 
and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance there. Okay, notice all of them. There's a lot of people involved there. Okay, this second attack from the enemy then is conspiracy. Notice that the enemy tries to get a crowd to come against us. He tries to cause a disturbance to get us to fall away. Now, when I read this, I thought, that really is the way that the enemy works. He tries to get a little nucleus stirred up. And if they're loud enough, then what happens? We began to think that the majority is against us. We began to think that everybody, you know, everybody must be thinking I'm doing something wrong. And if we start thinking that everybody's against us, then we began to doubt ourselves. And we began to think, well, Lord, maybe I didn't hear you correctly. You know, if this many people are against me, maybe I am off. And that's exactly what the enemy wants us to think. Years ago, before we were in the ministry full time, there was a group of us that were close, and we were all teaching in the Sunday school department. Now, we had never taught on the occult. We had never taught on any kind of demonic activity or anything like that. But one day, in one of the classes of children, one little boy, just out of the clear blue sky, said, I got a Ouija board for Christmas. What do you think about the Ouija board? And Jack just simply said, well, the Ouija board is not of God. It's of the enemy. And that's all that was said, and we went on with the rest of the lesson. But by the time that went full circle and came back to us, people said that we were teaching all kinds of things. And a few people made it sound like the whole church was against us. And the attack was to get us to quit the work. It was a conspiracy of the enemy. And we have to remind ourselves all the time that we're not fighting against flesh and blood because sometimes that's what it feels like when the attack's coming through the mouth of another person. But it's the ploy of the enemy. It's not flesh and blood. And even if it is the majority that seems to be coming against you, a majority does not always mean that they're right just because they're in the majority. See, many times God has worked with a remnant of people. Whatever it is that lines up with the Word of God is the way that we have to go. Whether it's a loud minority that's coming against us or whether even the whole majority is coming against us, we have to come back and say, okay, it doesn't matter who's coming against me. Lord, what is true? What is your Word? What is your Word telling me? What are you calling me to do? See, there were 12 spies that went into the promised land and 10, by far the majority, came back and said, it's not going to work. The giants are too big and, and we can't win. But God's voice was spoken through two men saying, yes, God will give us the victory. He'll give us the victory. Well, that was just the minority saying that, but that was God. So we have to go with God even if there's a conspiracy trying to come against us. Don't let Satan cause you to quit the work just because he's very loudly using the voices of people that are around you. Now, this is just a side note, but have you ever been in the midst of a situation where it just seemed as though everyone was coming against you and one person came up and patted you on the back and said, hey, hang in there. I know that you're doing what God's called you to do and I know you're going through a tough time right now, but just hang in there. God's going to see you through. It was so encouraging. You know, maybe they didn't speak but five words, but it was just exactly what you needed to be able to make it. Well, remember that because you're going to notice people in the body of Christ at different times that are going through a real attack. It may be an attack that the enemy has against them personally or maybe it's where the Holy Spirit's trying to work something out in their life. And you may be the only one that can get to that person and give them just a little bitty word of encouragement. 
So we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because sometimes it's just that one little word that's given at the moment that it's needed that's going to keep that person from throwing in the towel and giving up, you know, that gives them the courage to stay in there and win, keeps them from coming down off the wall. Okay, look at verse 9. It says, We prayed to our God, and because of them, because of all these people that were coming against them, this conspiracy, we set up a guard against them day and night. When the crowd came against Nehemiah, he didn't just react in the flesh. He prayed, and then he set up a guard to protect himself and to protect those that were working. Now, since the enemy is always on the loose, we need to be very quick to set up a guard in the spiritual realm. And it says that he set up the guard day and night. Now, sometimes we don't see the answers coming as quickly as we need to because we're not setting up a guard day and night. We're not holding the enemy off. And sometimes the reason that the answers are slow in coming is because the enemy's coming in and stealing from us rather than our putting up the guard. Okay, now let me tell you how they did it. One man faced the wall and did the work while another man stood with his back to the worker and he faced out and he watched for the enemy. And the two men then, they would stand there back to back all day long and even at night, it said that they worked at night when the moon was bright where they could see. And one would work while the other would watch for the attack. Now when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our life in some area and we know that the enemy is trying to interfere, then we need to get someone to pray. That's how we set up a guard. We need to set up a guard day and night. That's how the body is to work together, praying for one another to see one another through. And that's what God expects us to do. I've gone through trials of my faith before when I knew that I had people praying for me. I could feel their prayers. And see, that was a guard that was holding the enemy off while the work was going on in my life. Okay, look at the third attack. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. And our enemies said, They will not know or see us until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. And it came about when the Jews who lived near them came, they told us ten times they're going to come up against us from every place where we turn. Okay, now isn't that just exactly like the tactics of the enemy? He says, you're not even going to know it. I'm going to come when you least expect it. I'm going to destroy everything that's going on. And you're not even going to know it. You're going to be destroyed before you even know I'm there. Well, the devil's such a liar. But those are the things that he tells us many times. And not only did the enemy tell them that, but notice that the people that were around them, their very own people, reminded them ten times that that's what the enemy was going to do. Have you ever noticed that the enemy harassment will come and then, boy, we're hearing it in our ear or somebody else is repeating it to us over and over and over? Well, that's because the enemy is very obsessive and he comes over and over to try to wear us down. There's times when we're trying to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life or maybe we're trying to go on with God and, or, or there's a, a work that God's called us to do and we literally think, you know, Lord, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to be able to live through this. I don't know whether I'm going to make it through this alive. And sometimes there'll be other people around us that'll confirm that, but that's the enemy that's speaking in our ear. Years ago when we were building on the house, we were about halfway through the house when we just completely ran out of money. 
And the enemy came to us loud and clear and said, you're out of money. You're never going to finish this house. And we'd look at how much we lack and the enemy would be whispering in our ear, you know, are you going to live in this house half finished the rest of your life? And I promise you, he said it more than 10 times because he comes on loud and he comes on continuously. And his trick is to try to get us to come to the place where we quit trusting God, where we get our eyes off of God and, and we get our eyes off of the work that God's called us to do. And we get our eyes onto the circumstances. And if he can accomplish that, then what we'll do many times, we'll come down off the wall. We'll quit the work. And that's what he was trying to get Nehemiah to do. He was trying to get them to come down off the wall and quit the work because that wall was their physical protection around the city. Now, when he comes against us, it may not be a permanent quitting, but many times he just gets us to stop the work for a while. He deters us. He slows the work down. And that's why God's saying, don't come down off the wall. Don't listen to the enemy. Keep that work flowing. Keep it going. Okay, the fourth attack is in chapter 5, verse 1. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Okay, now this is probably one of the biggest attacks that Satan tries to do against the body of Christ. Strife and disunity from within. See, he's always trying to create a civil war. Now, I'm not going to say that strife won't present itself at times, but if we don't take authority over strife, it can have devastating results. It's so easy at times to feel strife and then to strike out at each other. See, that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. That's his plan. But our fight's not against flesh and blood. And if we take care of the strife immediately and we do it God's way, then we're going to have smooth sailing. But if we don't, the Bible tells us that that strife will cause envy and jealousy and every evil work will come in. Now, strife comes from pride. It helps us to know where it's coming from. Now, within the body, there's a lot of different ministries. There's leadership, there's the worship team, there's children's workers and intercession and on and on. And usually there's several people involved in each ministry. And the enemy always tries to find one person in one little nucleus group where he can bring in some strife. And when that happens, it has to be handled in the spiritual realm because strife spreads so quickly. It's like a cancer and it just spreads to the whole group. But look what Nehemiah did. Chapter 5, verse 6. He got very angry when he heard the outcry of their words. Okay, when we realize that the enemy's coming in like this, we need to get angry, not at each other, but at the enemy. And when we get angry, then we'll do spiritual warfare. It's when we sit back very complacently and just let the enemy run over us that the strife multiplies and the civil war gets bigger and bigger. But he got angry and he did something about it. When we get angry enough at the enemy, we'll stand up and we'll use the authority that God has given to us. Okay, in verse 6, it says that he was very angry when he heard their outcry. And he said, I consulted with myself and I contended with the nobles and the rulers. I think that's interesting. First, Nehemiah had a little talk with himself. Now, I can just hear him. Nehemiah, oh, buddy, if you don't get this mess stopped in a hurry, you're going to have a lot of problems. So he consulted with himself. He gave himself a little pep talk. And then he went and contended with the leaders of the uprising. After he got himself built up, then he went and he confronted the opposition. He confronted it face on. 
Now, it has to be done in love because if it's not, then even when we're right, we'll still be wrong. But he went, he confronted it, and he took care of it. But you know, for strife to stop, pride on both sides has to be taken care of. And for pride to be taken care of, every person has to decide, Lord, I want to be right with you more than I want anything else in this world. That's what takes care of pride, is when we say, Lord, I want to be pleasing to you more than anything else. Okay, fifth attack is in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, starting with verse 1. Now, it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, to Bai, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained or no broken places remained in the wall, although at that time I had not set up the doors at the gate, that Sanballat sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together in the plains, but they were planning to do harm to me. See, after we've gone through maybe the strife or maybe we've gone through the mockery or the threats or all these little things of the enemy, and we're still working, we still haven't given up the work, nothing stopped us, then suddenly we find that Satan always tries to change his tactics. He'll come from another angle because he's so full of craftiness. And he'll say, let's meet together, let's talk. In other words, he begins to work on our reasoning. And you'll find yourself maybe lying in bed at night and you'll start reasoning things out. And you'll think, well, you know, maybe I'm not. Maybe this is reasonable. And he comes in with another manipulative approach. Now, maybe he knows we're not going to get off the word. Maybe he knows that we are established in the word. But he'll begin to try to get us to change the way that God is telling us to do it. Many times he'll come and he'll change the attack and he'll try to get us, instead of, if he knows he can't get us to quit the work, he'll come and try to get us to go a secular way. Or maybe he'll try to get us to become mechanical in what we're doing. Or he'll try to get us to approach it intellectually. See, in verse 2, he's saying, come, let's talk. You know, let's meet together. Let's work at a compromise. Now, I want us to look at all three of the areas that I named because any one of them can be deadly. Number one, he wants us to compromise and do it the secular way. Now, any time we try to line the Word of God up, either with our traditional thinking or if we try to make the Word fit in with preconceived ideas or maybe the secular, worldly way of doing things, we're going to be ministering death. Now, this is so important to watch for. Because the world can appear to be so right. You know, we're accustomed to doing things the world's way. And many times it can sound good, but it'll minister death. See, God's Word ministers life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. And anytime we're ministering the Word of God, either to ourselves or to someone else, we're going to find that it'll minister life. But when we're ministering anything else, no matter how good it might sound, it's going to ultimately bring death. Now, there's so many humanistic ideas out in our world today that sound really good. If you're not thinking and you're not lining up with the Word of God, sometimes it can sound right. Many of those ideas are trying to go on in our school systems. Sadly, so many times in our public textbooks and in our government. And they can sound right, but they're ministering death, and it's not coming from God. The secular way of doing things will never ultimately accomplish the work of God. And it'll never adequately accomplish the cleanup that God's wanting to bring about in our life. For example, when Jack and I first married, we were attending this church, and they asked us to serve on the visitation committee. And we really didn't want to do it, 
but we hated to tell them no. And so we would go to visit one night a week, and both of us would go up the sidewalk praying that no one would be there because at that time we felt real uncomfortable about talking about Jesus. And if they were home, well, we'd immediately start talking about all the good socials that we had and all the fun that we had in our Sunday school class parties. And we'd say, oh, you're just going to love the church. We just have so much fun. Well, that was a secular way of trying to get members, and it never accomplished what God was wanting to do. See, now that's just one of many examples that I can give, but there's so many secular ways of approaching things rather than approaching it God's way. Okay, the next way is the mechanical way of trying to do God's work. Now there's a lot of formulas out there in the world, and we've learned to go by formulas and principles. You know, if you're in a math class and you can work out the formulas and the principles, you can work just about any math problem. And there are formulas and principles in the kingdom of God. You reap what you sow, given it'll be given unto you. You can name a lot of formulas, a lot of principles. And so often what we've done, we've trained ourselves to use God's word mechanically. And sometimes we think, well, if I tithe and if I quote X number of scriptures a day and if I do this and if I do that, then I'm going to be blessed. And see, we've worked out a mechanical formula. But God's way is not mechanical. It's not a mechanical formula. God's word is Jesus Christ. He's the word made flesh, and he has come to dwell and live through us. So it's not going to be a formula. It's not going to be a principle that's going to make it work. It's going to be when this word sparks truth on the inside of us, when the life giver begins to live in and through us, when we allow him to work through us. And then when that happens, we will tithe, and that will cause the windows of heaven to be opened, and we will quote scripture, and we will do these things that cause blessings to come, but then it's not going to be mechanical. It'll be an overflow of a relationship. Now, any time that the essence of our walk is summed up in, and I'm going to do this and this and this just so this particular thing will happen, well, it, it'll minister death. It's never going to bring about in our personality the image of Jesus Christ because what God's trying to do is allow a personality, the person of Jesus Christ, to live big in us. But the moment that we take in the life giver, that's what's going to change our personality. That's what's going to bring us into the image of Jesus. And that's why the enemy tries so hard to get us to use the Word of God and for it to become something mechanical. So we don't want to fall for that trap. Now, if that doesn't work, then many times he'll try to get us to approach the Word intellectually. Now, there's no power in the Word of God if the Word just goes into our mind and operates from that position. Because what happens then, it brings bondage to us and it causes false doctrine. Christianity was never intended to be a mind religion. See, God's word goes out into the spiritual realm, and when that happens, then it affects our mind, all right. It renews our mind, but it goes into our spirit. It works from the inside up. Now, there's a lot of mind religions in the world, and they all minister death. But the word of God is more than just law. See, that's why the Bible tells us that the letter of the law killeth, but the spirit brings life. Now, when someone only hears the word intellectually, they're going to know about God. They may know a lot of things about God, but they're never going to know God. And that's why 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 tells us that the Spirit understands the depths 
of the Father and reveals that to our spirit man. So secular ideas, mechanical ideas, intellectual ideas, they're dangerous because they stop the flow of the spirit. And that's why Jesus told us in Mark chapter 7, 10 through 13, that the traditions of men, the preconceived ideas of man, and the doctrines of men would cause the word then to be an invalid. It would cause it to be of no effect. Now, we're never going to experience the supernatural of God if we approach it intellectually or any other way other than through the Spirit. Now, of all these typologies that we're looking at today in Nehemiah, this is probably one that would be the most subtle. It's the easiest one to slip into, to slip into the mechanical or the secular. Okay, the sixth attack is in Nehemiah 5, verse 3. And there were others who said... Now, these were the Jewish brothers that had been working on the wall, and they were coming to Nehemiah, and they said, we're having to mortgage our fields, we're having to mortgage our vineyards, our houses, that we might get grain because of the famine. Also, there are those who were saying to him, we've had to borrow money for the king's taxes on our fields and on our vineyards. They were coming, and they were saying, Nehemiah, we're having to work, and this is just causing an extreme burden. See, the enemy will try to come in with a guilt trip. Now, these people were saying... Nehemiah, you're making us work on the wall, and we don't even have money to pay our taxes. We don't have money to feed our family. And I'm sure that it was a temptation to Nehemiah to feel guilty because the people were making a sacrifice. And he could have looked around to see that they were being hard-pressed, and that could have pushed him to say, well, you know, maybe we had better give up the work. But he didn't do that because he knew that God had called them to do it. And he knew that if God called them to build the wall, that God would make a way. We had this friend that was called to be a missionary down in Mexico. And he said one of the hardest things that he ever had to do was to stand up in front of a group of people who were living in extreme poverty and ask them to tithe. And he said when he did that, the first time he did that, some of them came to him and he said that they said, you're taking the money that we would use to feed our children. And they're going to starve if we end up having to give 10% of what we have to the church because we don't have it. We don't have any extra. And so this missionary friend said that it was all that he could do not to fall for the, this guilt trip. But he knew that the only way they were ever going to come out of the poverty was to teach them to give and to teach them how to tithe. So he said that he really had to push through that guilt trip. And he said in two years... Those in his congregation that were obedient to do it the way of the word, he said every single one of them came out of their poverty and that they were more prosperous than they'd ever been in their entire life. But he said he really had to push to get through that guilt trip. And so they were trying to put a guilt trip. The enemy was trying to put a guilt trip on Nehemiah. But he knew that God had called them to that work. Okay, the seventh attack is one of the enemy's favorite. I want you to look in chapter 6, verse 5. Then Sanballat sent his servants to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you're rebuilding the wall. He's saying it's reported that you're rebuilding the wall so that you can rebel and that you will be made king. He said, this is the reports that we're getting. It's reported that you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you that you are the new king in Judah. 
And now it was reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Okay, now the enemy's always going to try to accuse us of impure motives. Now I'm the first to say that we have to get before the Lord and we have to make sure that our motives are right. We have to do that. We need to line everything up that we do with the Word of God. But if our motive is pure, and if God has shown us the thing that He wants to do, then we can't allow Satan to deceive us into feeling guilty that maybe our motives aren't right and get us to quit the work. We can't allow those kinds of accusations to stop the work that God's called us to do. Now, if He can get you to listen to accusations about impure motivation that's not true, then he knows that you'll get discouraged. He knows you'll come down off the wall, and he knows you'll quit the work. Now, it's really easy to get discouraged when you're under enemy attack. And we have to do exactly what David did. If you'll remember when he got discouraged, he began to speak to his soul. And he said, so get up and bless the Lord. Don't be discouraged. So we, sometimes we just have to speak to ourselves and we have to remind ourselves that our fight's not against flesh and blood. We have to remember who the enemy is. And it's easy to think, oh, you know, Lord, I'm being so falsely accused. Lord, this is just not fair. And it's easy to get over into self-pity or maybe to get into hurt. And there's never a place for self-pity or hurt in the body of Christ. Anytime we get into self-pity, the work's going to stop. We'll quit letting God do anything in our life, and we'll quit allowing Him to work through us when we're in self-pity or when we're in hurt. Okay, the last attack, number 8, is chapter 6, verse 12. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and I might act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they might reproach me. Okay, notice that he's equating fear with sin. Now, one of Satan's biggest attacks is to try to get us into fear. Now, I don't know anyone who's ever escaped all of the fear tactics of the enemy because this is one of his biggest weapons. In fact, every evil thing, if you trace it back, It'll have its root in fear. Now, anytime we're working on the wall and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work on our personalities, we need to go before the Lord and allow Him to reveal those areas of fear in our lives. Those areas many times are so subtle that we won't see them on our own. And we have to go and say, Lord, I want you to show me anything where there's a root of fear. For example, there can be the fear of rejection, and that'll cause us to quit the work faster than anything because we're afraid of what people think. In John 12, verse 43, Jesus said that the Pharisees loved the approval of man more than they loved the approval of God. And when we're seeking after the approval of man more than God's approval, what it'll do, it'll cause us to compromise. It'll cause us to compromise the Word of God, and it'll cause us to stop the work. So we need to ask God, Lord, are there areas of fear in my personality? And then we have to come to a place where we're not afraid to face those things head on and allow God then to work them out. Now, you'll hear people many times, and they'll say, you know, did you hear the news this morning? And you'll just see fear all over them. And, and we have to realize, yes, we'd be fearful if we didn't know that God had our lives in control, if we didn't know we had covenants with God. But we have to keep reminding ourselves, God, I don't have to operate in fear because greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. I don't have to fear evil tidings because you're with me, Lord. I can trust you. We have the good news, and the good news is able to overcome any bad news that the world could ever come up with. And that's why God tells us in 1 Timothy 
1-7, that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us power. In other words, the, the power of God to overcome. He's given us love. Love conquers anything. And he's given us a sound mind of discipline. Now, all fear comes from a lack of trust in God. And when we trust in his perfect love, the Bible tells us that his perfect love casts out all fear. Now, I've had so many people ask, as you go on with God and continue to go with God, do the battles get fewer? Well, I've thought about that, and I've thought, you know, I don't really think that I can say that the battles get fewer. But I can say that we become more steadfast as we keep standing on the Word. We become more stable and steadfast in the Word, and the victories become greater. And the more insignificant then the attacks become. Because where evil abounds, there the grace of God is in greater abundance. Now this is the thought I want to leave with you. The Bible says that we're to forget those things that lie behind and we're to press on. So sometimes we have to come to a place where we just forget those battles that are behind us because they'll pull us down when we start thinking about that. Sometimes we even have to forget even the victories that lie behind because sometimes if we just concentrate on the victories... We'll start looking at all these areas in our life where God has done some cleanup and we'll be excited about that and we'll quit moving. And we have to say, no, Lord, I'm not even going to look at the victories. I want you to show me every area in my life that's not yet been conquered. And then we can allow the Holy Spirit to start restoring the breach in the wall. Jesus is coming soon. I believe that with all my heart and we've got to be ready. Satan knows that his time's short, and he knows that the only way to prolong it is to try to hinder the work that the Holy Spirit's trying to do. So we need to determine that we're not going to allow the enemy to deceive us into coming down off the wall. No matter how much opposition Nehemiah had, it didn't matter. He didn't come down off the wall. He didn't quit the work. And his story is recorded here as a type and shadow of the way in which we can receive the victory, not only in our lives personally, but in the ministry that God's called us to do. Father, I thank you for these stories in the Old Testament that do give us a typology, a type and shadow of how we can be victorious in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you that we don't have to experience defeat. Lord, I thank you that we can look at the examples that you've placed before us and we can see things not to do and we can see the things to do. Lord, I thank you for Nehemiah. I thank you for his boldness. I thank you for his steadfastness. I thank you, Father, that he did not fall for the attacks. And I thank you, Lord, that you're giving us the courage and the strength and the stamina and everything that we need, Lord, to go on with you and be victorious in every area. Now, Lord, we submit our lives to you. We submit the ministry to you. And we ask you, Lord, to move and work and have your will in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.